Good morning. I, uh, I, I just want to say, um, even though I just called Rob annoying, I deeply, deeply love and appreciate the staff so much. I, um, I just want you to know how hard they work, how passionate they are to serve and be that. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Can you fill their inboxes and their emails this week with blessings and words of encouragement? Um, Time to time, you know, you know how emails can be. Time to time, an email comes in and it kind of changes your day towards not the good way day. It frustrates. And those are okay. I mean, feedback or whatever. But church, can you take a moment this week and fill their inboxes with just blessings, encouragement, thanking them for who they are and what they do? Um, don't send them to me. I, I'm usually the one who gets things and then, but... Um, I mean, on both sides. So, but if you could for me, that would be a huge blessing to them and to me. So if you're like, how do I get their emails? Just go to our website, just click on their face. I mean, literally, click on their face and it comes up. Or just info at Calvary and just, just bless them. Those words of encouragement would be really, really important. Okay? Can we do that? If you're like, I don't have email. You're not telling me the truth. You probably do. You can write a note. You can write a letter. Whatever you want to do. I want to encourage you with that. Let me read to you our scripture this morning. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There are some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Epaphatai, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were open and his tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. If you were here last week, you know we're in a part of Mark where a couple of interesting kind of strange stories pop out. And like we talked about, he's in this uh, transition in time in the story of Mark where he has spent so much time in Jewish land and Jewish areas, and he's breaking out of that for a few weeks, if not a few months, to kind of take a breath and maybe prepare the other areas for what he's about to do. You see, even to just walk to these places would have taken some time. I have a map that reminds you of where He's going and where he's been. And we see that he's left the areas we spent so much time of ministry and gone up to Tyre. And then his goal was to go south, but so, but so he goes north for a while and then heads back around to the east side of the lake. Some things happen on this journey. Things that aren't really written about, but we see some attitude changes. We see some declarations. If you remember last week, he just finished telling 
his disciples, are you so dull? We get to those moments where what we really need is just to walk with Jesus for a bit. You see, this daily intimacy with Jesus, this walk, this step-by-step, I don't know about you, but when I do that, my attitude softens a bit. My entitlements get some perspective. And the disciples go from, are you so dull, to the next chapter where he says, who do people say I am? And they say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. They go from not getting it to getting it. What happened? They spent time with him. They walked with him. They journey with him. This happens when we walk with him, when we talk with him, when we listen to what he has to say. Sometimes we just need time out from our own thoughts and submit to his thoughts. Our distractions so often come from our personal over-exaggeration of how we see things. And time with him goes, it's going to be okay. Time with him brings things like reconciliation and submission and alignment to our, his heart. And they all come back to the forefront. So as Mark writes, he went here and he went there. I want you to envision those times with Jesus on the road. And what would a time with Jesus on the road be like for you? Father, we ask for your help in understanding things We do not understand. Spirit, may you challenge us. May you move us. Jesus, may you invite us in to what it's like to walk with you. In your name, amen. As I just said, the Lord Jesus was putting some space between uh, himself and the Jewish region. He was overwhelmed in so many things. And the last time that Mark at least says that he had been on this east part of the lake was another amazing story. I think we talked about it around around Labor Day. It was a story, if you remember, where he went across the lake and he met a man that was so filled with so many demons. His name was Legion. At least they called him that. So Jesus now returns to that space. And he had left this man there to be his witness. In fact, he said to this man, go and tell the people the mercy the Lord has hired upon you. He must have been a really, really credible witness. Because now instead of begging Jesus to leave, they begged Jesus to put his hands on a person. You see, something happens when you hear the message of mercy. There's a change from reactionary to intimacy, from fear to acceptance. You see, the words of mercy do that really, really well. And when you've experienced mercy and you're in touch with that mercy that God has given you, it moves you. See, as we know, words and intent can do a lot of things, though, right? I mean, what this man really wanted, this man who had been freed from so many demons, at the end of that story, he goes to Jesus and says, let me get in the boat with you. I just want to be with you. And Jesus tells him, no. 
You need to be the voice of mercy in this area. You see, he really could have had a different message, huh? How many of us like to be told no? I, I'm not a big fan of that word at all, ever. I mean, his message could have been really different. He could have said things like, Jesus rejected me. Yeah, he's a good guy. He healed me and stuff, but he, he rejected me. He says, I don't understand why I couldn't go. So, because in my mind, going in the boat would have seemed to be like the right plan. And if he was frustrated at that moment that things were different than what he thought, that message would have really carried. Why? Because a lot of other people were frustrated and actually told Jesus to leave. That would have been a propelling message because message of, of frustration and anger can carry and be really powerful in a different way. We see this practically played out, this reaction to things without perspective. I mean, we see this online all the time, don't we? Man, when our, if our favorite sports team, who's ever in charge of that team, makes a decision we don't like, we're like, I'm canceling my season tickets. I'm like, no, you're not. Just relax. If a political leader says something you disagree with, man, the threads, the responses, the reaction goes. Whatever it might be, we see that play out all the time. It's reaction without perspective. But it seems like the message that this man shared seemed to be something like this. I was pushed out of society. Society didn't know what to do with me. I mean, that makes sense. He was so filled with demons. People were out of ideas and plans for me. But God had mercy on me. You see, Jesus entered into the margins of society where I was, and he had mercy on me. And then this mercy is available for you, to you. You see, the difference of words, mercy and hope over bitter and anger, open up an entire region of people to Jesus. It was all about the message. It really was. It transformed from Jesus, leave us, to Jesus touch us. They begged him to leave. They begged him to heal. What's the difference? It's the words of mercy. It's the words of grace. So as Jesus went back to this area, they brought to him somebody new, somebody different. Let me remind you, we just read this. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. I wonder what that begging sounded like. Such urgency. Jesus, please, 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 please. I don't know what the begging for healing sounds like like that. I know I pray for begging for healing in my own life. But to pray and beg for this man, maybe this man was an annoyance to some. Like, Jesus, would you do, please just help him? But my guess is that their hearts were pulled towards this guy. It seems like they brought it. They initiated the conversation with him. They had seen something before or heard about something where his touch healed. So they say, do it again. 
do it again. When's the last time you said to God, remembering a time of mercy in your own life, you're like, do it again, Jesus, I believe for that. Versus, oh, why doesn't things good happen? Just a sec. Okay. We'll continue. After he took him aside, away from the crowd. It's so easy to just read these words in a verse. Let's really look at what Jesus is doing here for a sec. There's a crowd. They're begging him. Jesus is like, I got my own plan. I'm going to do what you're begging me to do, but it's not for your entertainment. Come here, buddy. Let's go for a walk. This is going to be a moment between me and you. There's a moment when Jesus touched the man legion that was so full. It was just him and the man. And Jesus is like, I'll do it again, but I'm going to do it for him. Not for all of you. What is that like? What is that like for Jesus to go, hey, come on. Let's mean you sit for a bit. Let's look at each other. See, this whole story shows us most vividly that Jesus did not consider the man merely a case, merely uh, just something to be done. He considered him as an individual in the margins. This man had a special need and a special problem, and with the most tender consideration, Jesus dealt with him in a way that spared this man's feelings, in a way that he could understand. Why wouldn't just he want everybody to see? Wouldn't it just exploded even more? I'm sure this man grew up. I'm not sure because the Bible doesn't say, but I'm wondering, and I imagine this man grew up probably misunderstood. You ever feel misunderstood? Maybe even mocked, even pushed aside. You're not like everybody else. He couldn't hear, he couldn't speak. Jesus is like, I'm not going to make a show out of you. Just imagine the way people would have responded. But Jesus identifies with this man emotionally, personally, and intentionally. After he took him aside, away from the crowd. Now I want you to listen. Why does Jesus do this? This man couldn't speak. This man couldn't hear. Try to see, what is Jesus communicating to him? He took him aside from the crowd. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. And then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and said to him, Ephatha, which means be open. Jesus deeply identifies with this man. He comes into this man's cognitive world and uses terms. He uses nonverbal speech to a man who cannot hear and cannot speak. Jesus is speaking to him how? Some kind of like, I really, sign language. 
I don't know what sign language would have been like back then, but I'm sure this man did a lot of pointing and frustration as he communicated. And he's pointing at his tongue or over there, and his voice sounded not like everybody else's voice. And I'm sure it must have been so frustrating. So Jesus looks at him and he goes, I'm going to use the things that you're used to. I'm going to point and touch your ears. And this is just humanly gross. Didn't Jesus spit into his spit? I'm going to touch the tongue. Because that's what mercy sounds like. That's what mercy does. Mercy looks at the other person's heart and soul and understanding what they're going through the best they can and you do what they do to engage with them, not what you want, but what is good and right for them. Jesus seems to be saying, let's go over here. Don't be afraid. I'm going to do something about your physical condition. Now let's just look to God first. At this This man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. He has done everything well. They're starting to use creation language. Do you remember Genesis chapter 1? And after each day, what does God say? In the morning and evening, it was good. It was good. It was good. They start to use creation language. Jesus does everything well. It is good. When Jesus enters into a situation, he was bringing it back to good. When Jesus is in the middle of something, it should reflect, this is good. When you go for a walk with Jesus, he takes us from places of anxiety and pressure to places of peace because that is good. When Jesus is in the middle of a church and a gathering of people, the response should be, this is good. Our approach is so often an indication of how we're seeing Jesus, if at all in this circumstance. What is your approach? What is my approach? Are we taking positions of power with people? Are we using words of leverage with people? Things like, you know, everybody thinks this. I've been talking to some people and this is what they're all saying. Or like in a relationship, you know, you always do this. Those are words of leverage and power. I don't, I don't see this with Jesus, do you? Do you see Jesus using words of leverage and power? Let me show you something we talked about this last spring. So if it feels familiar, good for you. You remembered a sermon from last spring. It's like the pastor's joy. Hey, didn't you speak about that before? I did. In case you don't remember, here we go. There's this moment in the life of Jesus where his friend Lazarus died. Some of you are like, oh, I remember that sermon. No, you don't. You just remember the story about Lazarus dying. And it shows us so much about our heart posture before him. Let me read you this in John chapter 11. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. 
Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even God, now, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Let me stop. After reaching Bethany, Jesus is confronted by Lazarus' two sisters, Martha and Mary. Martha's confrontation with Jesus just outside the city is rife with frustration. She's like, if you had been here, he would not have died. But Jesus kind of sidesteps her critique, her criticism. He doesn't really even say he engages with her. He just says, don't worry, your brother will rise again. But then Mary comes. This, she uses the exact same words for her confrontation. Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. Let me read it to you. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same phrase. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord. They replied, Jesus wept. Both sisters came to Jesus with the exact same phrase. Jesus kind of like sidesteps one of them and says, your brother rise again. To the other, he deeply engages with emotion. He weeps with her. And in the shortest verse in the Bible, it says, Jesus wept. For those who feel like God is indifferent, we see here God is not indifferent. He weeps with those who weep. He's engaged. Why does he receive these words different? Martha may have been asking the same question as Mary, but her question was birthed not out of love and compassion, but from a compulsive sense of obligation for what Jesus should have done, how things should have been. Words coming from a place of how things should have been. Because we often see Jesus for who we are rather than for who he is. We may be asking an altogether sensible question on the surface, but below is this kind of this tempest of frustration and anger and how things should be. Here's what's amazing. Hang in there with me. When you look at John chapter 11, you see that everyone in this story criticizes Jesus, at least has a critique for him. The disciples question his travel plans to Bethany. The sisters both ask Jesus deep existential questions to, to their loss. The religious leaders criticize him for his action. Everybody has a criticism of Jesus except one person. Who do you think did not have a criticism for Jesus? Lazarus. Lazarus is like, all y'all complaining, I'm coming out of the tomb. You see, that's what happens when you're the recipient of mercy. Everybody else has a criticism, but if you've been there, if God's doing something in your life, you're like, 
I, I got no problems with Jesus. <laughs> what does this say for us? This is the open conversation part. Not really. <laughs> what does this say? One thing it says, we might want to hear from other people what God's been doing in their life. Because it's easy to drift. Because we can all find all the questions and criticisms for Jesus and his church that we really want to find. We can. I mean, you can find anything you don't want in this life, this criticism. There'll be no end to our Western, secular, post-Christian criticisms of Jesus, the Bible, the church. But what's interesting is the ones who have no criticisms are the ones finding resurrected life. Who's here has found resurrected life? What's the best part about being with Jesus? Anybody want to yell out, what's the best? This wasn't in the notes, and this may be like, we're a church. You're not supposed to yell out. Peace. peace. Man, peace is a good part of the resurrection. What's another good part of the resurrected life of Jesus? Contentment. Hope. Mercy. Great, what do you got? Victory. Anthony, what do you got? Hope. Sorry, I just called you out, but I can see you. This is the beauty of being able to see everybody. I can just call people out. Bill, what do you got? What's a good part of resurrected life, my friend? Not alone anymore. Acceptance. Say that again? No, one at a time? Comfort. Got it. Sorry, sorry. I heard something totally different. I heard compressed, and I'm like... Like a zip file, just. <laughs> Sorry, I, that's not what you said. It's what I heard, and that's why I'm like, I want clarity. What was back here? Trust. Trust? Man. Grace. Grace. Oh. Love. Goodness. Goodness. These are words of mercy, my friends. If you're like, is anything happening in this? These are words of mercy. You're hearing it from those you're sitting with in this church. You see, those words permeate our soul. If those things are true of you, would you let others know? If those things are happening, would you let others know? I mean, look at the difference that land made when this man shared his words of mercy. It's not that anyone is beyond feedback. It's not that anybody is beyond a sense of like, this is how things, I get that. But I'll tell you, as, as a pastor, I've never received an anonymous note that said, I'm just so happy with what God's doing in my life. Anonymous notes so often are filled with criticisms and anger. And I don't get that many anonymous notes. I haven't in a long time. But what I'm saying is, we need to be bigger and stronger than those kinds of underlying things and everything that we do and share these words of hope and grace and peace because there's power in it. In his book, 
Carl Maderis, who wrote this book called Speaking of Jesus, The Art of Non-Evangelism. He said, as I look over the history of Christendom, I notice our minds are where our hearts should be. And the kingdom of Jesus has somehow become a religion of the mind rather than a spiritual response of the heart. We focus on psychological compliance rather than spiritual dependence upon the teachings of Jesus and the guidance of the Comforter and the Holy Spirit. When we drift to things of the head alone, we're not having words of mercy. We're just having words of content. The actions of the heart engage. Before we end, I want to go back to something in this story real quick. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh. Anybody catch that? Better translation might be that Jesus moaned. I don't know what a moan by Jesus sounds like, but it's, just, it's an expression of pain. Why would Jesus be in pain? Well, there's a cost to this healing of this man. You see, Mark deliberately signals with this one word that he uses for death that he could hardly speak. It's a single Greek word, mogilalos. The word is only used here and in one other place in the Bible, and only in that it's because of the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's used in one other spot and talking about the same thing. It's used in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 35, where God revealed to this prophet hundreds of years before this event about this kind of event. Let me read it to you. Remember, this is 700 years before Jesus comes. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams into the desert. Mark is saying in his gospel presentation, this book of Mark, did you see the blinds opening their eyes? Do you see the deaf start to hear? God has come just like Isaiah promised. And God has come to save you, my friends. Jesus Christ, God, come to save us. Jesus is the king that we've been waiting for. And there's something else Mark wants his readers to think about. Isaiah says the Messiah will come to save us with divine retribution. And those words sound really strong, don't they? They sound like Jesus is coming angry. But Jesus isn't smiting people. He's not taking out his sword. He's not taking power. He's giving it away. He's not taking over the world. He's serving the world. Where is this divine retribution that was promised? Their answer is he didn't come to bring divine retribution as we see it. He came to bear it. He came to took it upon himself. Because on the cross, Jesus would identify with us totally. And on the cross, the Son of God was kind of thrown away. He was cast from the table that we talked about last week. So those of us who were not children of God could be adopted and brought in to be children of God. 
to experience the resurrected life that you just heard people testify about. Those words that people use as we talked about it, do those words ring true for you? Are you experiencing those? Because you certainly are invited by Jesus to do so. In reference to last week's parable, if you remember about kids and dogs and bread and breadcrumbs, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to last week because I think it's a story that is transformational. The idea around Jesus, what he had to do was this. The child had to become a dog so that we would become the sons and daughters at the table. The son became the dog so that we dogs could be brought to the table. If you're like, what is he talking about? I'm telling you, listen to last week's sermon. He became mute so that our tongues can be loosed to call him king. What do, you, what do you call him today? Your tongue has been loosed to call him something. The gospel tells us how to be saved. The gospel shows us how we should live, how we should think, and my friends, how we should speak. This morning, don't be too proud to accept what the gospel says about where we fall short, where you fall short. Don't be too stubborn to let go of your expectations. Embrace the stories of mercy that you've even heard today. And know that the gospel tells you how loved you are and how loved others are. Because the gospel is not Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. The gospel is, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness. Let's just take some moments of being quiet before God. We've heard his word. We've heard the words of mercy. We've heard the intimacy of that Jesus brought to this man. And I believe that Jesus wants to talk to you individually right now. If even imagine him pulling you aside and talking to you in ways that you understand and things that you care about. And he speaks words of truth to you. If Jesus wanted to speak mercy to you, those places of hurt, what would he say to you today? Words of forgiveness. Words of encouragement. For me, they sound a lot like, Dale, let this play out a little bit. Let me give you some perspective. Be patient. They sound like to me, I'm going I'm I'm to walk with you through this, Dale. Trust me. If you're here this morning and you haven't heard these words of mercy or you're not able to shout out some of these words of mercy, Jesus is inviting you in this morning. 
You simply say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want to let go of the sins that so easily entangle me and accept this mercy, accept this gift. Talk to him. He's pulled you aside. Just talk to him. Father, may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight always. We love you. In your name. Amen. Words of blessing, words of mercy, even when it's hard, words of blessing, words of mercy, those are the ways of God. I encourage you to give those mercy and blessings to those around you. I'm asking you to fill my staff and your staff's inbox full of words and blessing. Can you do that this week? Will you do that this week? Not because they're better than you, because I just want you to bless them because they serve you. They're faithful. Fill it with words of blessing. If you're feeling frustrated, find someone whose God has done something in their life. It's like, has God done anything in your life? Can you bless me? Can you tell me about it? That's why we gather. That's why we are here to proclaim it. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for your power and your mercy to be upon my friends and my family as they go from here. May you replace the words that frustrate us. God, I get them. They're in my head. There's a criticism in my head all of the time. But hallelujah, I am free. May we all live in the freedom and mercy that you've given us. We love you. In your name, amen. If you're new with us, I'd love the chance just to get to meet you back at our Connect gathering. If you aren't new with us and you want to connect with me, come to the Connect gathering, I guess. But God bless you as you go out from here and be a blessing and a mercy to somebody else. Amen.